History happened everywhere. The verdict. This is our after show podcast where we look back at the most recent episode, number 59, Madness in Middle Earth during the Third Age. So if you haven't listened to that, go back and check it out, or else you will find spoilers ahead. Oh, excuse me. Sorry, I just nicked my tooth there. Hello, my name is Pete Goddard and I'm here in the HHE studio with the Deagle to my Smeagol. It's Mr. Ryan Weir. <laughs> Hello, my precious. <laughs> I'm not sure which one of us was supposed to be Deagle and Smeagol. <laughs> and of course, we are joined as ever by the diminutive, depraved dwarf himself, the Judge Paul Dursley. Oh my God, we're starting <laughs> early. <laughs> now, before we begin, Ryan, I have a shamefully <laughs> have to admit that I've forgotten everything, everything that we talked about. But how? How could you forget? He wasn't wearing his ring. <laughs> <laughs> so, could you recap perhaps what we did? I can absolutely do that. When do you want me to do it, though? Now. In this fantasy special, we travelled to Tolkien's Middle-earth to learn some examples of mental illness in the people who live there. We met Sauron the Wise, a wizard whose bruised ego pushed him to a life of evil. We met Denethor, the steward of Gondor, whose chronic grief over the loss of his wife led him down a tragic path to a grisly demise. And finally, we met Smeagol, a murderous Sturhobbit whose obsession with the One Ring drew out the worst of his personality and resulted in a bit of a lava bath at the heart of Mount Doom. And all of this while we sipped some of Brewdog's fellow IPA and wondered if Middle-earth had sufficient 5G coverage for Palantir phone calls. That was last week's episode done, summarised nicely, nice one son, now we're over to a young Dursley who's gonna tell you what he thought of the He'll take you apart without any care, he's the lovely Paul Dursley, the lovely Paul Dursley. Ah, yes, it's all come flooding back to me. Uh, and I very much enjoyed it, I've remembered now. So, first thoughts, Mr. Dursley. I'm I'm nervous for Ryan, but uh, how did you feel about the episode? Just uh, first feelings. Yes, uh, I was thinking there's some similarities between your podcast and The Lord of the Rings. You always skip over the songs. <laughs> I was hoping he'd say Beloved by Millions. I was scared he was going to say Goes On for Blooming Ages. <laughs> Well, I must say, I was I was nervous for Ryan because you're well known for not being a fan of fiction. And actually, Ryan, that makes me wonder, how how did you find researching things that weren't real, fundamentally? Right. So this was our first fantasy episode, right? It was a bit of a one-off. And yeah, I, we, we've, not, we've not done this before. So where did I start? Well, I just started looking up Middle Earth because I don't know what, what's out there. It turns out there is a tremendous wealth of information out there. You better have got everything right because I'm sure those sort of people are very, very critical if you get any microscopic fact wrong. Well, you're not wrong. And <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't the warm, welcoming embrace that I was hoping for from the community. That being said, I can fully understand why. You know, this is almost like a real world to these people. It's, it's, it's full of depth and lore and characters that they believe in, they followed throughout their life. You know, this is really important stuff to them. And, and I, but I can, it's for children. It Well, it doesn't feel like it. Uh, certainly give this book to a child and I think they might 
might be bored quite quickly. I think this is for a variety of different people of all ages. Well, Lord of the Rings, I agree, you get bored very quickly. The Hobbit's a bit better. True, The Hobbit is more intentionally for children. But in terms of research, I actually found it quite interesting. But it was a, a specific direction that I wanted to take, was to treat it like it was a real place. Yeah, but you did have a challenge, which is normally we don't, all we have to do is orient you on the globe that you're familiar with. But you had to also say, well, this is the whole universe. You had to start from, from really the very beginning, didn't you? I, I like Pete's comment about the Portuguese turning up. <laughs> <laughs> you never know with those guys. They're capable of anything. But yeah, you had to start with early angel, didn't you? Early God. <laughs> and that stuff I found fascinating. I mean, I'm, I am familiar with The Hobbit. I'm familiar with The Lord of the Rings. I've seen the movies and I've actually read the books. Have you? How far did you get through? Did you get through them? I, I read a lot of it. But what I found difficult with a lot of Tolkien stuff is it goes on. There is a lot of names and swords have names as well, just to really confuse things. So, so there's a lot very of much in, backward and forward through the book to try and remember what's happening and who's doing what. Yeah, it's very much written in that classical tradition when you go out to the Beowulf and the Old English and the classical Greek. It's always so-and-so, son of so-and-so, son of so-and-so, wielding the spear that they found from a bush. Well, he was professor of Anglo-Saxon, wasn't he? He was, and he was perhaps the foremost expert in Beowulf. Yeah, and he and certainly there's a lot of Beowulf in The Hobbit with the firing of the arrow and the shooting of the dragon at the end. I think that's quite Beowulf-y. Mm. Um, but also he's a megalinguist, wasn't he? And I think one of the things that really brings the world of Middle-earth to life is the language that he brings to it. Not for children, though. I remember we were read The Hobbit at school with a sort of a very earnest teacher who insisted on singing the songs. <laughs> Did you join in? No. I was specifically told not to join in with the singing at school. Is your voice that bad? Yes, it was. So I was told to just mouth it. <laughs> Facing the wall. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things you mentioned was all the languages last week. Like he spoke a bajillion languages mm. and there are on Middle Earth multiple languages. And one of them you said was the black speech speech that was it the black speech spoken by sauron and his and his people and what i hadn't realized was that the lettering on the ring that you see in the movies obviously mm -hmm. I thought that was elven because it looks elven, but it's not. It's black speech. That's the black speech. Okay. And this, uh, I guess, which makes sense, is the one ring that was made by Sauron, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. But what I found was interesting was J.R.R. Tolkien himself hated the blacks. He made it, obviously, but he made it to be horrible because mm. it's the speech of evil. But apparently he got a goblet from a fan with the ring inscription, which mm. is in black speech, uh, and he didn't like it. He never drank for it, and he used it as an ashtray. <laughs> <laughs> It's interesting you're saying how it glows, the, the lettering, when it's on the ring. Well, I was reading that one of Sauron's many powers that aren't really spoken about is the power to radiate heat. And uh, that the, the ring, whenever he put the ring on, the, the writing would show up. Like when you put the ring in a fire, the, the lettering appears. Like a mega mood ring. Yeah. Like, yeah. Sauron's mood is evil. <laughs> Again. <laughs> He was a bit useless, wasn't he, really? Well, he did lose every single time, but he was scary and a lot of damage was caused each time. So I suppose you had grounds to fear him, even though you would win in the end eventually. But I did, I've always had this question in my mind, especially from the movies, of kind of what is Sauron? You know, he's a guy running around in armour for a bit, then he's a big wobbly eye on a tower. <laughs> yeah. Um, that angel stuff that you, you told us and the, the, the formation of the world and him being the very at the very beginning made it a lot more clear to me that he's not anything, or he's something ethereal 
material rather than something physical. And that's why he can be all of those things at once. That's exactly right. Yeah, he's uh, one of the, the Valar, the, the Maya. And that was the other thing that I I had always assumed that wizards were just people who'd studied and learnt magic mm-hmm. by, I don't know, went to magic college, <laughs> I suppose. Uh, <laughs> but learning that he was a, a different being as well. I hadn't realised any of that stuff. So well, that was... throughout the canon, Sauron takes on many different forms. In, in one of the early drafts of the book, he was actually a cat. Um, <laughs> a very hot cat, presumably. <laughs> just stroking him going, this isn't right. <laughs> yeah, but he was a cat in the book. And the only thing that's left are in The Lord of the Rings is Sauron's yellow eye. Uh, on the tower, ah, which is like a cat's, a cat's eye. eye, and that's oh, which the it thing was a cat's eye in the film, wasn't it? Yeah, and that's the, the the only remaining part of him being a cat. But here's a Sauron fact for you. Sauron facts. <laughs> um, yeah, when I said at the end that you know Smeagol takes the ring down into Mount Doom and the ring is destroyed, and so is Sauron. Well, he wasn't entirely destroyed, and I did get a message from one of those Tolkien fans to tell me this, and that is that in Tolkien's words, the destruction of the ring caused Sauron to fall so low that none can foresee his arising ever again, for he will lose the best part of his strength that was native to him in the beginning, and all that was made or begun with, that power will crumble, and he will be maimed forever, becoming a mere spirit of malice that gnaws itself in the shadows, but cannot again grow or take shape. Ah. Spooky stuff. Yeah, he's out there somewhere. Him and Sauron, just spirits (laughs) wandering around. So I want to talk about the Blues Brothers. No, the Blue Wizards. I preferred the Blues Brothers, but yes, I hear you. So I only mentioned them sort of briefly, but they were part of the five emissaries that were sent to Middle-earth alongside Saruman, Gandalf and Radagast. Yeah, everyone else got their own colour, if I remember rightly. There's Saruman the white, Gandalf the grey, Radagast the brown. Brown, that's right. Two Blue Wizards. And then just two Blue Wizards. (laughs) A bit of an afterthought, wasn't it? They were so named because they wore sea blue robes. And Tolkien says they went as emissaries to distant regions, east and south, and they became missionaries to enemy-occupied lands. Yeah, their mission was said to weaken Sauron's forces, but they were likely unsuccessful. We don't know, but Tolkien says that of all the Istari, which is the name for wizards, only one remained faithful, referring to Gandalf. He says, I fear that they failed. I suspect that they were founders or beginners of secret cults and magic traditions that outlasted the fall of Sauron. In the film of The Hobbit, Gandalf says that he's quite forgotten their names, and the reason for that is because the producers didn't have the rights to those particular characters. (laughs) (laughs) who's thinking ah the real values in the blue wizards that everyone's so keen to hear more about (laughs) i'm kind of fascinated to know more about the the blue wizards and their journey east (laughs) i think that's fascinating or not so you talked about the length of it paul and uh i think i read somewhere it's thousand pages half a million words just lord of the rings this is not even including the hobbit Mm -hmm. and apparently when tolkien submitted this to his publisher there was a there was a post-war paper shortage and that was part of the reason it got split into three volumes yeah he always referred to it as the novel not uh, not as three distinct books so can you imagine just the doorstopper of a book you'd have if you had the whole thing in one go but was that i wonder was that the start of because classically you get loads of fantasy comes in trilogies now It'd be interesting if that was accidentally started the trilogy habit that you have in fantasy today. Oh, you're wondering if there were any trilogies before? Yeah. Hello, this is the voice of the internet. Prior to Tolkien's fantasy epic in the mid-1940s, 
the early 1900s saw authors such as H.P. Lovecraft and Edgar Rice Burroughs write a number of novels set in their own fantasy universe. However, it might be argued that the epic poems of the Iliad and the Odyssey could be considered one of the earliest examples of serialized fantasy novels. Written over 2,500 years ago and traditionally ascribed to the Greek poet Homer, the Iliad and the Odyssey form just two parts of a larger series of seven books, which have since been lost to time. Thank you. But what I did find interesting was they launched Lord of the Rings in the UK and in America there was uh, some publisher who basically went, I'm going to do knockoff copies of Lord of the Rings on the grounds that they claimed they didn't have any copyright in America. So they start knocking out copies of Lord of the Rings cheaply uh, and then an official publisher then gets appointed in the US and they have to rush to get the book out as quickly as they can to combat these pirate editions that were coming out. And they were in such a rush, they recruit a, a lady called Barbara Remington to draw the cover for Lord of the Rings and they give her a matter of hours to do it. So she drew the cover, never having read the book, which will explain if you get an early first Surely edition. Surely they told her what, what happened. She asked around. It wasn't, <laughs> apparently she said it's hard, it was hard to get hold of at the time so not many people she knew had read it. She asked a few people and got some gist of it. Uh, but she drew the cover, including a lion, which does no way appears in Middle Earth anywhere, and a couple of emus as well. <laughs> <laughs> so Tolkien was quite unimpressed by this he said uh, where is this place that you've drawn basically it doesn't look like anything in the book why is there a lion and emus on it yeah. uh, as a sort of sop to him they took the lion out but kept the emus I think C.S. Lewis was, a, was part of this you know yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah quite possible just undermining his old friend well that's one of the theories is it's gone well fantasy lions that's a thing that goes on in fantasy yeah but he was uh, not at all pleased but um, <laughs> <laughs> but now of course these early editions with the lion on it are more valuable because the lion got taken off eventually so they're but a little bit like a minted coin with an error on it becomes quite valuable yeah There's i'm lion sure it's really valuable are, if you've got one with a lion's little face poking out at the bottom you might have a relatively valuable book on your hands that's fantastic i love that <laughs> i kind of want to do a little remington competition where between the three of us we find a book that none of us have read and we all design a cover for what the book <laughs> looks like <laughs> well if there are any budding authors about to self-publish out there that's our offer we will give you three gratis <laughs> drawings for the front of your novel and you can pick whichever one you think is best we will not be reading your book <laughs> So talking to Tolkien, Tolkien of Tolkien. Tolkien of Tolkien. <laughs> oh my God, that reminds me. Yeah. Okay, that's 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 a whole grade off. He's had a, fl a splashback to a sketch, hasn't he? <laughs> Was it the puns, Paul? Yes. <laughs> we enjoyed doing them. We did. Well, look, anyway, uh, Tolkien of Tolkien, throughout his life, he suffered a lot. He had apparently a nervous, depressive breakdown in 1946. And his father died of rheumatic fever when he was just three years old. His mother died when he was 12. At 18, he entered the meat grinder of World War I. By 1918, all but one of his close friends were dead. And so, you know, he sort of essentially emerged from World War I with not only the trauma 
trauma of his childhood, but also like the trauma of being in the Great War. He was said to have shell shock or combat stress reaction, as they called it then. Today, we would refer to it as post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD. There is even a film, uh, a biopic called Tolkien, starring Nicholas Holt, which was released in 2019. And this sort of talks about the trauma that he goes through and tries to sort of tie it in with his writing, tries to make, you know, see whether or not there's an, an allegory between what he's writing and, and the experience that he had. Now, many people suspect that the stories of Middle Earth are sort of more of a psychological parable about trauma and have a lot of allegories towards the Great War and the Industrial Revolution and so on. But Tolkien hated this. He actually said, I cordially dislike allegory in all its manifestations and always have done. An author cannot, of course, remain wholly unaffected by his experience, but the ways in which a story germ uses the soil of experience are extremely complex and attempts to define the process are at best guesses from evidence that is inadequate and ambiguous. It is an essential part of the plot, foreseen from the outset without any allegorical significance or contemporary political reference whatsoever. God, this does sound sound like Tolkien because I'm bored already. I mean, it's a long-winded way of saying it, but like he's been quite clear there, right? He's saying that his writing is very specific. It's not an allegory. It's not a metaphor. It's it's nothing. It's just purely his imagination that's writing this down, which seems odd because you'd think that somebody is quite so learned as Tolkien would sort of recognise that humans aren't born in a vacuum. You know, we have experiences that are thrust upon us and there's no way that we wouldn't absorb some of those and uh, and present them in our art or in the way that we behave. Well, it was sometime after him when the literary traditions started or continued to move away from everything being about what the author intended anyway, and that famously the death of the author took place sometime after his life. But at the time he was writing, that, that stuff hadn't happened yet, had it? So it's like, well, I didn't mean it, therefore it's not there. Mm, I'll be honest, it looked a lot like World War One, churning up the ground with the orcs and the battles and the scourge of the Shire. And the and nice so things are in the Shire when it's all green and pleasant. <laughs> it all yeah, seems pretty isn't allegorical. Isn't the Shire to supposed me. to be sort of like bucolic Oxfordshire or something like that? Not according to Tolkien. Uh, you <laughs> oh, have to okay. have that out with him. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I think from his mental health perspective, you know, he was living at a time where it wasn't considered manly to talk about your your mental health. You know, you, you didn't talk about depression. It was an, it was a taboo. Today, you know, we live in an era where we talk openly about our mental health, or at least more openly about our mental health. You know, it's considered normal. You know, we, we all recognise and we look to try and improve our mental health, but it just wasn't for him. So you can see how he may well have pushed back against any sort of questions on his mental state. Yes, and, uh, and also I, I did like your sort of discussion of the characters and, and sort of their character traits. And it's quite dark for ch- as children a lot of that stuff isn't it when you think when you think about it and uh, you think Gollum and uh yeah, that, his addiction that, and his obsession, his murderous traits, you know, there's, yeah, there's, his, a, there's a lot of darkness in there. His madness, if I'm allowed to say that word, <laughs> unless you want to put insert trigger warning here. <laughs> well, I think as we discussed, madness is still a colloquially okay. It's just in specific reference to actually ill people that it's no longer considered appropriate or particularly helpful, in fact. That's right.
One of the things that I mentioned was about Mad Hatters. Right? Yes, and, indeed. And we talked about the etymology of where the term Mad Hatters come it's from. Mercury in felt of hat making, I believe. Beaver. Said. Beaver pelts, yes. Beaver, any small animal, the, the process of turning the fur into felt, they used mercury nitrate, which, what is that, Paul? Mercuric nitrate. Well, it's yeah. ju- it's just a salt that has. I'm I'm not really sure what it does, but I would think it would do something to the fat in the fur to mm-hmm. either make it stick together and to lay flat. So yeah, it was used in the process of turning the fur into felt. And back in the day, we're talking in the 1800s and, and earlier, you know, safety standards aren't what they are today, right? You know, they were more lax. And the hatters were exposed to this and they started to develop physical and mental ailments, things like tremors, which was dubbed hatters shakes, speech problems, emotional instability and hallucinations. So it wasn't a joke, right? Like this was a serious condition that affected people around the globe. Mm. We didn't talk about Lewis Carroll and the character of the Hatter, who is referred to as Mad and has since become known as the Mad Hatter in Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. But I did want to tell you about one notable real-life Mad Hatter. So on April 14th, 1865, John Wilkes Booth, he entered Ford's Theatre in Washington and he assassinated President Abraham Lincoln. Then he fled into hiding. When he was in hiding, the army, specifically the 16th New York Cavalry, were sent to hunt him down. And on the April 26th, the soldiers found Booth hidden inside of a barn in Virginia. So the orders were to take him alive, but one of the soldiers disobeyed these orders and shot Booth to death. Now, this soldier was called Boston Corbett. Now, prior to joining the military, Corbett had been a hat maker for many years since he was a very young man. Now, over time, his obsession with religion became fanatical and his faith was so strong that he became disgusted with his sexual libido. And so he castrated himself with a pair of scissors. Oh, my Lord. Okay. He then joined the army. Where he was found fit to serve. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) He fought in the Civil War. And then after killing John Wilkes Booth, he gained some notoriety for his celebrity in having done so. He was pardoned by the army and uh, he went back to work in the hat industry. In his 40s, though, he moved to Kansas, where he lived alone as a homesteader. But in 1887, he threatened a group of people with a gun and he was placed in a mental asylum. However, one year later, he escaped and was never seen again. Wow, the guy lived a life. How about that? Boston Corbett for you. Well. The true Mad Hatter. <laughs> you know, that was quite a long time ago, but there was so, so, certainly way into the 20th century as well, weren't they? You, you were having the match girls in this country as well, who used to get fuzzy jaw because they used to lick the phosphorus to make the matches. And that used to sort of basically melt the bone of their jaw. Oh, good God. That's awful. Uh, yeah, same sort of thing. And they were sort of, anyway, that was just part of the job. I mean, I don't want to belittle these people, but I've got a little bit of a bad elbow from my, my mouse. Yeah, my eyes my mouse get a bit what? sore looking at a screen all day. So we're, we all suffer. Paul, question. Are you a smoker of the pipe weed like Mr. Gandalf? 
No, no, I'm not. So I got fascinated by pipeweed, not least because of the, the weird obsession that Saruman seemed to have over it. And <laughs> I found there's some debate, the big debate about is it marijuana or is it just regular tobacco? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the hobbits smoke a lot of pipeweed. They've always got, they're always hungry. They're always eating something. <laughs> so have they got the munchies? That's one of the theories. But uh, unfortunately, I think there's a, I don't know exactly where this comes from. There's a bit of Tolkien writing that says that they smoke the burning leaves of a herb, which they called pipeweed or leaf a variety probably of nicotiana mm. so probably it's just regular tobacco so yes i suspect it was he loved beer as we know he's very fond of a beer he is <laughs> <laughs> i actually found him saying that and i'm going to play it right now because i'm very fond of the uh, of beer so there you go i wish i'd put that in the main episode but um it, it, he also loved smoking uh, he said i've always uh, always smoked I sometimes smoke beyond the point when you enjoy it, which is silly, but I do smoke and enjoy it. And as a matter of fact, it's now so tied to, uh, to writing that I can't write without it. Wow. Well, they, he used to write, uh, write. He used to meet with a group of other writers, including C.S. Lewis, as referred to by Paul earlier, didn't he? Mm-hmm. In a pub. The Foul and Fetus. I'm sorry. Was that the name of the pub? That sounds unlikely. <laughs> well, the pub was actually called the Eagle and Child, but it's known as the Foul and Fetus. Oh, oh really? <laughs> Is that is this place still there, Paul? Are you uh, yes, a frequenter? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, well, uh, I think it even has an Inklings corner. Ah, yes. So, yeah, the Inklings was what they called each other or themselves, I guess. And I think it wasn't a formal club, was it, Paul? No, it was sort of, sort of meeting up in the pub, basically, for a drink. Wow, that's a society I could get behind. <laughs> <laughs> How do you register to become a member? <laughs> you just show up and order a pint. <laughs> <laughs> I think you have to write something. I'll have a pint of literature. I've written something on my notepad. <laughs> Can I play? <laughs> so we have come to the end of the line. It's time to step back into the dock and prepare to face the people's judge. Judge Dursley, are you ready to give your verdict? Yes, I am. Uh, Your Honour, as usual, we'll start proceedings by first asking for the verdict on factual content. Now, before you begin, when I say factual (laughs) content, I mean allowing for the fact that it was about a novel. Of which I only read a part myself. Um, (laughs) I think I will have to defer to the people who write it and criticise you. So I will give you a holding score of... B minus. Okay. But we need to come back to that after you've had the comments. After okay. the deluge of corrections comes in, <laughs> we can adjust that up or down. Okay. okay, well, if you are a Tolkien enthusiast, please feel free to write into us at Sheet and Ryan at. No! <laughs> <laughs> Do you not hear what you just said? Write <laughs> us at hhepodcast.com and let us know if you thought it was good or bad so we can adjust the grade appropriately. You jumped in there quickly, Pete. <laughs> yeah. Now, next category is, of course, the evergreen entertainment value. What did you think? Were you entertained? Uh, not really. Oh, come on! Seriously? He asked the question, and I answer it honestly, and you sort of throw a hissy fit. I apologise, Your Honour. I feel like I've been taken over by a dark force. Wow, so I feel we're being pun-ished here. (laughs) (laughs) So, for entertainment value, Your Honour. I have to do C-. C-. This isn't so bad so far. 
Okay, well, I was yeah. expecting I a under- lot worse. I never understand this. You are so happy with the C minus, which is such a negative score. Now, Ryan, I'm a little worried about this next one, I must admit. Dursley factor. <laughs> Dursley, what did you think of the dwarves and the elves and the wizards? <laughs> Leading, Your Honor. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to have to give it a D. It was always going to be like this. I'm sorry, Ryan. (laughs) Who knew that the wild wonders of the fantasy realm got you a D for Dursley Factor? (laughs) A D. That's not good, is it? But none of that is the final verdict. Because we're now reaching the final verdict. And Ryan, before we do pass the final score, you have an opportunity to enter your plea. Please make your plea now if you choose to do so. Okay, uh, Your Honour, Lord Dursley, um, I wish to plea for mercy because <laughs> because whilst I recognise that fantasy is not your bag, I recognise also that this was not just about fantasy. This was about real world clinical conditions surrounding mental health and that there may have been some elements of this podcast which may help some people. So in that in that air of <laughs> keep going, keep kindness and generosity please 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 be kind <laughs> <laughs> okay your honor the defendant stands before you humbly just trying to help people with their mental health <laughs> have you reached a verdict yes i have and so i must ask most respectfully for your final ruling so my precious as they say <laughs> Uh, I would give you a D plus. A D plus. D plus. Ooh. I mean, I don't want to lose my rag right now, <laughs> but I'm close. Also, to you it. don't want to lose any more points. Yeah. Does that D plus include the lost point for the punts? Oh, sorry. <gasps> no, 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 no. You had to mention it. You had to mention it. No, 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 no. E plus, then. No! Oh, no, 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 no. The crowd's gone wild. The <laughs> journalists are rushing to the phone. No. Breaking news. No, you can't do that. You've already given the grade. I'm afraid it says E plus here. I've written it down. Can you do that? Can, he, can you change your grade? Of course I can. He is the judge. Shut up, you! <laughs> I thought you'd included it. I'd be doing your listener a disservice by not including it. Well, I shall put in the book E+. That is a score for the ages. One the historians will write about when they're writing about history of other things long into the future. Okay, so on that bombshell, that is our show for this week. If you'd like to get in touch about any of the things we've talked about in this show or to say hello or to protest the disastrous grade that was given to Ryan, do reach out to us through social media through our website at hhepodcast.com or email us at peteandryan at hhepodcast.com. Yep, we'd love to hear from you. And you never know, you might end up featured on a future show. And you can guarantee that by rating and reviewing the show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Your recommendations there really help us bring the show to new listeners. That's right. Right. And if you're on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, you can find us at HHE Podcast. And if you subscribe to one of those, you're going to get an alert every time we post one of our one minute animated HHE bites. Of course, we'll be back again soon with our next episode, episode number 60, Red in the Atlantic in World War II. But in the meantime, a huge thank you to the judge himself. Thank you, Paul. Uh, my pleasure. Aren't you going to thank me, Ryan? 
Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'll remember that for the next one. And with the studio still reeling, that is it. And I guess all that's left to say is, you've been listening to... So what's the lowest grade? (laughs) Of all. That was an E+, right? Yeah. So I can still get an E-. Could do, yeah. Or an F. EF, yeah, it goes to you. EF and then you, isn't it? I don't know. Let's ask the judge. Yeah, how does it work? Well, if if you want to do Oxford marking, it's alpha to epsilon, plus neutral minus, but you can have a double plus occasionally. (laughs) I'm going to suggest we don't do Oxford marking (laughs) on the grounds of what you just said. You could could have, because you could have an alpha beta or a beta alpha. Well, you could, I'm sure. Or a gamma delta. You could have a gamma delta. Yes, that's a valid one. Yeah. Or you could have an alpha beta question mark plus. Well, I can tell you that we can only go to E minus minus because that's what Paul put into the Ders later. Ah, well, there you go. doesn't go any lower than E minus minus. That's the system. Okay, so you've you've still got three places to fall. (laughs) Yeah, I don't quite know how I would, but there you go. Marvel superheroes. (laughs) Christ, if you have one of those, you are getting it. With only songs as sketches. I am replete of shirts for next week.